Does human life matter any longer? How do you handle the news about evil? Stay tuned for this episode of Current Issues in the Constitution and a candid discussion with Professor Woody Wilson. And thanks to our sponsor, Media Angels. On the Current Issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi, and welcome to all of you who are joining us today. Uh, my name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of Current Issues in the Constitution. And with me on the line is Professor Wilson, and I uh, call him Woody more times than not, so welcome, Woody, to the show. <laughs> and I call her Felice all the yeah. time. And uh, thank, thank you, and I'm very, very happy to be here as always. Yeah, so just a little um, disclaimer and, and prayer request here for Woody. He just uh, underwent some surgery on his knee, and he's doing fabulously well. And uh, he is here um, soon after his surgery, so he told me he wouldn't be at the top of his game. But even if Woody's not at the top of his game, he's way up there. And uh, you, you guys are, are going to be amazed at, at the discussion today. So as usual, for those of you who are here live, welcome, and uh, if you have a question, there is a Q&A box on our page at currentissuesandtheconstitution.com, and if you're listening on iTunes or in the archives on Google Play uh, or wherever you are listening to this podcast, uh, please go to our website and you will find uh, this recording and it is going to be titled um, ISIS and American Reaction. So be looking for that in the heading, and you will be able to find the show notes for today and any of the resources or websites or anything that we discussed today uh, will be on that website. And next time we meet, we are going to be discussing uh, the elections upcoming and again, even if this is in the archives, um, Woody is going to be going over the Constitution and rules so that we can be prepared no matter when we are uh, in the process of an election just to get a really good understanding of what the Constitution says. And, you know, as always, Woody, I'm always happy to be having these discussions because it is um, – something that nobody who has listened to these podcasts can say that we have not covered well, and that is uh, going over copies of the Constitution. And that's why even in our intro uh, beginning here, we encourage people to pick up a copy of their Constitution and a pad of paper when they listen to this uh, podcast because there's going to be a lot of learning going on. You know, so something I, I've never asked. I'm going to throw something at you today before we get started, if that's okay. Um, and you're always so good at that. Um, 
and that is, you know, what made you learn so much or want to learn so much about the Constitution? Well, uh, many things. Um, when I came back from Vietnam in 1964, I was a very young man, and I was very upset uh, with what I had witnessed over there on a large scale, and I wanted to I wanted to find out what happened and why it happened. You know, what are the answers? Uh, why are these horrible things happening? And uh, I saw and learned of uh, things over in, in Vietnam that are just as hideous, just as horrible as what we're seeing from ISIS um, in Syria. So I guess to put my world back together, I was just like any kid. I grew up in the 50s. Sometimes they're, they're called the happy days. And, you know, just you thought all was for the best in the best of all possible worlds. And then you're sent to a place like that, and everything that you believed is wrong, and everything falls apart. So I got interested in a study, went immediately to college. I was out of the Army in December and in college in January. And I started to study anything, everything that happened, happened to that had anything to do with the human experience, with existentialism, I think you can say. And I just studied it assiduously and have continued to study it assiduously for all of my life. Now, in those studies, you know, I'm, I'm into uh, paleoanthropology and history and human, the human brain and uh, territoriality and, and all of those kinds of concepts that govern human behavior trying to figure out why men go to war and, and in, in doing so do such horrible, brutal things. Um, so in, in those studies, I come across, of course, a lot of my studies had to do with uh, China. In fact, my master's degree is in Asian studies, and um, China, Vietnam, Japan, Korea, and, of course, the United States. And um, in my studies of United States history, and I began to teach it in the high schools, I came across, across this beautiful thing, just extraordinarily beautiful thing. And, and it was the United States Constitution. And I was just, you know, a lot, the language of the Constitution tells you what the men and women of those days were thinking, what governed their behavior, what caused them to write the words that they wrote and put together in several pages that are now the Constitution of the United States. And then somewhere along the line, it occurred to me that this document established the world's first permanent democracy, the very first. When it was, when it was uh, put into effect in 1789, it was the world's only democracy. And from there, it has spread across the world. About 125 countries are free now, 125 are democracies. And the Constitution remains the longest-lived form of government on the planet today. That is a remarkable, beautiful creation that has stood the test of time. While governments in every other country have collapsed, the Constitution just marches on because of what was coming out of the hearts and the minds of the people who created it back in the 1780s. So I found that fascinating, and, and today I am very, very disturbed 
that people seem to be pushing the Constitution aside, doing things that they want to do that the Constitution would not permit. And I'm not just talking about the president. I'm talking about people in Congress as well. And I'm very disconcerted at the lack of interest or understanding or knowledge amongst the American people. I think a lot of people know what the Bill of Rights is. But if you ask 20 people in the street, uh, where in the Declaration of Independence do we find the Bill of Rights, they would try to tell you. Most of them would try to tell you. They don't know what the Constitution is. And I think we need to do a lot better job in our schools of teaching it rather than teaching diversity and multiculturalism and global warming and those kinds of things. Right. So what, what we have always had is a government of law, and the law is the Constitution. Now we're seeing the emergence of governments, governments of men, and we saw that back in the uh, centuries ago, back in the days of empire and kings and dictators and Adolf Hitler's and Joseph Stalin's. Those are governments of men. And we simply cannot allow that to happen to America. I'm just, I guess I right. went from your question, Felice, to a, to another. Um, well, it's true, that and I've that's had the, the thing. Last two or three days. Yeah, and and you know, it, 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 there is so much going on today, and you know, and the Bible um, is the longest-lasting book. Obviously, it's not you know um, a document that's used by the democracy, but you know it it really is a testament of faith and a lot of um you know people attribute that you know, a lot of the um you know earlier believers brought in some of those biblical concepts uh to the constitution and and you know of course not all but it was a foundation for what they wrote and you know Woody it it amazes me that like you said, that uh, the schools, because I was also an educator and I'm very saddened by what I see in the schools and the focus really seems uh, to be dumbing people down, um, giving them, you know, devices. I, I call them anything that's an electronic device to use. The other day, um, one of my children, who's probably listening to this episode, uh, knew an answer to something and I said, how did you know? And, of course, she looked it up um, on the Internet. And I said, well, where would we be without the Internet? And you get people so dependent. Yes, it's a great resource, but we are, you know, it just hit me. We're so dependent on that for answers, and I think that's not allowing people to think themselves, you know. And, um, you know, in our early history studies, you hear about the orators who stood on the side, you know, corners and, and talked about things and people gathered around and listened and people thought and they either agreed or did, didn't agree. And now there's a complacency that that's not uh, my job and, you know, like this ISIS that's happening, um, and let's go back to that, um, unless you wanted to comment on something I said, but, you know, it's so far away that it doesn't have any impact on me now. And we're also going through this uh, Ebola scare, and that was what people were thinking. Well, now it has hit the shores of America, and we've got one person who died who brought it over and two attending nurses who are in contact with this patient are ill. So it has brought it to our shores, um, not something that we can just say it's in a different country and we can turn our backs on. Yes, um, um I, I don't think Ebola is a real threat to America. 
Um, I think we'll have that under control. But quite frankly, I have not been paying much attention uh, to that issue at all. Uh, I've been working on recovering from surgery. And right. I know it's out there, and I see the headlines, and once in a while I read a couple of paragraphs, and uh, you know, down in Texas and Dallas and all that. But, but um, I think it's something that we'll get under control. The only thing I can't figure out, if we had had any other president, there would have been a total ban on any flights from West Africa to the United States. And Americans in West Africa who developed any kind of problem would be sent to our big hospital in Germany at Ban Meinhof. They wouldn't be sent to America. Um, they would be sent there and put into quarantine until it could be dealt with. This president will not issue that ban to protect the American people from the potential threat, although I think CDC, uh, the Center for Disease Control, I think they have it under control and will keep it from spreading. I do hope so. But I did want to ask you one thing. Um, as far as the Internet is concerned, it's there, and it's not going to go away. Is it um, – in what in what ways would it be better – if I want to know something, if I want to know the answer to a question, or if I just want to know a fact, would it be better to look it up in a book than it would to look it up on the Internet? What is your thought on that? Well, I guess it's better to look it up on the Internet because it's faster and it's probably going to be more accurate where the book is going to be dated. My True. concern is Good that it, it causes complacency in the individual. We don't need to know that because we can find the answer. That's, that is the root that I'm concerned about because we are thinking people, you and I, Woody, and most of the people that listen to this broadcast, um, and so we don't like to just take any advice either if it's on the Internet or if it's on Wikipedia or, you know, what are you always telling us? You know, get three primary sources. You know, right. we want to be sure what we're reading is accurate, and I think that is is what I, you know, I, I'm lumping that into. I, You know, I have very high expectations of my students <laughs> or my children, so, you know, I might be a little bit harder on them and, you know, cause them to, you know, at least let's think about it before we immediately go find the answer. So that would be my only, you know, it, I use it all the time, and I could not get done the amount of work that I get done without it, um, with, right. without the Internet. You know, I was complaining before the show went live that I switched over from business class to yeah. home class and you know and it's slower and I can't handle the the queuing I want it immediate and I think that's you know another one of those we're so used to fast food um that whole fast food mentality we need it now and um you know I want to see that kids are still being challenged and that they're you know asked to think about things like with the show you know you give them some really good things to think about so that's my, you know, not so much that, you know, that in particular is, is a horrible thing, but I do want them, you know, because the answer was in her book. It was a science text. And so it was just easier to jump on the Internet and find the answer than to go back through the book and find it. And, um, you yeah, know, just, just that. Um, well, a mom, 
The internet, I guess, allows you to learn more in a shorter period of time. It does. But, it but does. once you look, once you look up the answer, where you know if it's something you want to know, uh, whether you look it up in a book or on the internet, once you look it up, you've got it. It's your knowledge now. Right. So what what that we need true. to do is, is put stu- put our students, whether it's homeschool or public school or private, we need to put them in a critical thinking mode at all times. Uh, designed to to usher them into a, the pursuit of, of knowledge, per, the pursuit of the answers, uh, right. by creating study units that are analytical in nature. Don't wait for me, the teacher, to tell you the answer. Here are the questions. Here are the problems. You find the answer. You find the solutions. You draw the conclusions. Then we'll talk about right. it. So right. okay. the Internet is pretty handy, pretty handy for it that, is. actually. But I want to jump in, too, with the CDC. They got a lot of flack over not helping that uh, hospital in Texas for not for knowing what the right protocol is. And they said that the nurses all were dressed properly, but they kind of, they think that in disrobing with their, their, their garb that they may have gotten infected from their, their clothing. So the CDC has been very lax at getting over there and helping this hospital. So now there's something like, you know, 70 or so people that they're keeping an eye on. And, um, you know, also a team that went over to uh, West Africa to film what was happening from the Today Show. One of the cameramen who went ahead of the group. um, Yes, I saw that. Yeah, he was infected, and so they quickly sent out a disclaimer saying, you know, hey, he was on his own dime in there earlier than he was supposed to be, kind of, you know, distancing themselves from that, which I thought was not really that fair. <laughs> no. But, um, you know, but he's, he has a connection with those people because he's been there quite a few times filming, and, you know, it's nice that you want to go and you want to be helpful and, and that kind of thing. So, so um you know, I I do think this is something we need to keep our eye on because, like you were saying, with this government that we have, um, things are not handled. And I never even knew that there was a big German hospital um, in Germany. Is that U.S. owned, Woody? Yes, yeah, mili- a U.S. military hospital. It's been there since okay. the end of World War II. Well, okay. we built it during that uh, Cold War period, early, late 1950s, early 60s. Okay. So I never even knew that there was that hospital there. So that's interesting that you know, these people are all being, you know, brought into different places of the U.S. So, But we are going to be talking about ISIS today, uh, the American reaction as well as the world reaction to it. And um, so it looked like they were uh, winning one of the key cities that they wanted to win, and now it, it looks like the there is a bit of a hold in the fighting. I don't know exactly what what you can tell us about that today, Woody. Okay, well, uh, before we get into it, let's just review what we talked about last time. Sure. Uh, we began by looking at um, uh, George Washington, uh, history, avoid alliances, uh, stay out of uh, foreign entanglements, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, we looked at our history, um, how two world wars kind of brought us out of our isolation of shell, and then the Cold War brought us all the way out. Uh, we looked at the Constitution. Uh, Article 1 gives uh, 
foreign policy or foreign affairs powers to Congress. Article 2 gives foreign affairs powers to the president. He is the chief diplomat. And we looked at Article 1, uh, Section 10, that denies all foreign affairs activities to the states. States are not allowed uh, to get involved in foreign affairs. That is solely the province of the federal government. So you've got a Congress and a president, uh, separation of powers and checks and balances. And it's really a good thing if you have, um, let's say, a Republican president and a Congress that has at least one, maybe both houses, uh, controlled by Democratic majorities. Ronald Reagan had this. And both the Congress, the leaders of Congress and uh, the president are willing to work with each other and to work out uh, solutions and to solve problems uh, by making compromises when they have to, making deals when they have to. Problem is we don't have that now. We have a president who has no regard, no respect for the Constitution or for Congress. And you have a Senate that blocks, you know, they keep saying, uh, Harry Reid, the majority leader, and the president keeps um, calling the House of House Republicans obstructionists. Well, the House of Republican obstructionists have sent more than 300 pieces of legislation to the Senate in the last two years, and none of them have seen the light of day in the Senate. They haven't even been discussed or sent to a committee. They just die in a large stack. So the obstructionism. Um, of which the House of Representatives is, is accused. The obstructionism is happening on the desk of a guy named Harry Reid. One guy is stopping anything from happening. So what we do want is a divided government. What we do want is checks and balances. But mm -hmm. what we want more than that are men and women in both the White House and the Congress that are willing to work together to solve serious problems like ISIS and like the like the Ebola virus and, and immigration problems and many, many other things, and they just won't do it. So um, a problem there. We also, um, I'd like to, for you to think about this. Um, you know, America's role in the world has always been a question mark, and we began with the Washington's perception that it would be best just to stay on our side of the Atlantic and the Pacific and just develop our own little utopia democracy here and let the the rest of the world if france and spain and great britain want to go to war all the time and fight over colonies let them uh we'll stay over here and build a city on the hill and that's how we began and that's how it stayed the 20th century again world wars cold war bring us out of it so in your lifetime in my lifetime i was born in 1943 so my first political memory is 1952 uh, when I went around with an Eisenhower button on my jacket which um, my parents uh, never said anything about never said a word but they were both Democrats and they both liked Stevenson I liked Eisenhower I don't know why I was just a kid uh, but but from that time on and you you guys have had exactly the same experience America was the world's the leader of the free world. We were the leader mm -hmm. of the Western world. We were the leader of the civilized world. And whenever there was evil, we were there. We have military bases in 65 countries. And 
evil, a breakout of evil, when innocent people were being treated with brutality, as we're seeing in the ISIS situation in Iraq and Syria, we were there, and we took action. And that continued even though the Soviet Union fell, communism collapsed, and, you know, what's our new role in the world? And we wondered about that, and we debated it, the national discussion. If you're old enough, you may remember some of that discussion. What are we to do now? We won the Cold War. Now, where do we go now? Do we cut the military? we go back to isolationism? What? Well, it was too late. It would become a global world, and we were a part of it. In fact, we created it. We created the global world um, in fighting off the Soviet Union. And so what are we to do? And when terror hits us on 9-11, well, President Bush responded with power and force. He basically, along with Congress's support, declared war on terror. And we sent our troops off to the Middle East, as we had done in 1990 with Desert Storm, George Herbert Walker Bush, and took the leadership. So we dealt with the evil, and we had a lot of people, a lot of other countries supporting us in that. Well, did that work? If if President Obama had done what President Bush intended to do and left 25 or 30,000 troops in Iraq until Iraq was a stable democracy, would ISIS have achieved what it has achieved in the last several months? Absolutely not. Not with American power there. Okay, so they let were, me jump been in. Limited. Okay, sorry. No, that's good. Um, so, um, and by the way, all listeners, I'm going to be a little bit rude today because Woody asked me to do this, to jump in, so he doesn't, because um, he's not feeling that great anyway, but uh, so, so it's you not don't rude have to talk for, no, I have to talk for an hour. But, okay, so, so here's the question. You said that would Iraq still be stable um, and would it still, you know, would it be stable if we had left our troops there and we were waiting for the democracy to kick in? The question um, always is, well, they're they're not going to do anything because they're relying on our troops. So how do they um, get the democracy stable, Woody? Like, are they training the men there? Are they helping, you know, them to decide that they are going to be a democracy? Because what is Iraq? Uh, you know, Iraq really uh, became a democracy when Saddam Hussein fell, and we helped them rebuild their government. We did the okay. same thing with the Japanese and the Germans back in 1945 and 46. We helped right. them write a constitution that gave uh, sovereignty to the people, and we did that with Iraq also, and it was beginning to develop. Uh, there was a time when Iraqis voted for the first time in their lives, and it was just a beautiful thing to see and a beautiful thing to them too. They would vote by dipping their finger in an inkwell and uh, touching the ink to uh, on a ballot uh, to the candidate of their choice. And they would come out uh, with their finger raised in the air showing, I voted, I voted, I have power, I have freedom. And um, it, was, it was good. The problem is we didn't stay long enough. It takes a long time 
for a country that has never been free, for a country that has never been democratic, to make the conversion. It takes 10 or 15 years. We need to stay there with them, to work with them, uh, to protect them from things like ISIS and things like al-Qaeda, al-Qaeda in Iraq. We didn't do that. President Obama campaigned to bring the troops home. And Bush had always said we will pull out of Iraq when the commanders on the ground say that it is stable, the Iraqi military is ready, and, and uh, the Iraqi bureaucracy, the infrastructure of government is ready, then we will phase out. We will not pull out. We will phase out. Uh, President Obama came in de facto withdrawal, and as you can see, things fell apart. So big so mistake there. why do you there. think he, he did that, do you think? Because they were talking about this on the news this morning, that this president seems to be political that supposedly there was a a, a conversation um, with the, with Russia where he leaned over and whispered in his ear, "I can be more flexible after the election." After I mean, the never, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. how how does does one you know not do that when their whole you know their whole goal is is obviously power? I mean, these, most of our presidents are wealthy men already. So it's not money. You don't get paid that much to be president uh, compared to what they would make in the secular world. So um, I don't. I don't think Barack Obama would make very much money of all, at all in the private world. I don't think he has the qualities. Well, now he'll he'll be speaking um, and make a ton of money like the Clinton. Well, true. That's right. You know, That's but right. whether or not there's any. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like they're president because of the power. You know, it, it's uh, very, yes. you know, you're going to get the few that are hoping those that are in politics, you know, and this is not to be disparaging because there are some great people in politics that really want to make a change. But, you know, so this president's there. He wants to be reelected, and he's going to do everything he can to get reelected. Yes, so, and I, know, I, think, I think he has a, a more of a long-term view. I think he wants to be important in the world community. Um, I've okay. said it before, yeah, you I have. would not be surprised right. if he, like Franklin D. Roosevelt, has the aspiration to be Secretary General of the United Nations. That would not surprise me at all. In fact, I think it is very likely that that is his goal. But I do know this. He is a part of a community, a liberal, progressive, socialist community, whatever you want to call it, that they want America to back off, back off and let the global community, along with the United Nations, take over. So the question is, the two questions that you've got to ask, do we project power to keep the world safe and stable for globalism or whatever, or do we back off and blend with the global community, the French, the British, the Russians, the Chinese, to keep the world safe for globalism? And does human life matter? Does it matter to us anymore? We're a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. We were more a Christian nation in 1945 when the Cold War began than we are now. But we're still a Christian nation. And is it okay with us if all those tens of thousands of people are murdered savagely by a brutal, brutal force? you got to understand that you know when this whole thing started in 2009, in 
the Middle East, there were 1.5 million Christians, 1.5 million. Today, there are 250,000 left. 1,250,000 Christians, human beings, have been slaughtered wow. simply because of the religion. Is that okay with us? And I would say to President Obama, is that okay with you? Do we do nothing? The global community is not ready. And I, I think Obama is, is a part of a group that's trying to force it to happen, and you can't do that. It has to evolve naturally, and it has been evolving naturally. And he is trying to put his foot down on the accelerator and make it happen, happen far more rapidly. And what you're getting is, my goodness, in my entire lifetime, and I've been paying attention, in my entire lifetime, I have never seen the world so completely unstable as it is now. To me, it is very frightening because there is no leadership and we are not ready for a global community to take care of problems. And I think one of the things that uh, you can say about Americans, and people have said it, you find it in, in foreign literature often, is that the American people value human life. And we do value human life far more than you will find in Africa or the Middle East or even South America. A single human life really matters to us. So are Why do we you think seeing, that is? Are, are, we, are we just, it's the Christianity. Mm-hmm. It's the freedom. It's the democracy. Right. It's the goodwill that, that, that comes out of, of those kinds of faiths and isms that, that make right. us have this heart. And just, you know, I used to ask my students, I said, I just want you to think about this. A small child is beaten to death by a terrorist in northern Africa. When you hear about that in the news, does that raise your hand if that bothers you? Every hand went up. We just have that. It's, a, it's an American thing. We love our children and we value human life far more. In fact, there are communities, civilizations in the world that don't understand that. Why do you care so much about kids? You know, what's the big deal? They're just, they're kids. They're just little workers, you know. Um, and what's the big deal about human life? You know, some people need to die. And then you have this Islamic uh, jihad philosophy and the beheading philosophy that is in the Koran. It's there uh, that people act upon. And I just got to ask President Bush and everybody else, do you care? Does it matter? The global community is not going to solve the problem of ISIS. The single entity. And ISIS needs to be destroyed, as was Saddam Hussein or the Taliban, is the United States. Well, the thing is, if if they're not destroyed, then we will be destroyed because that's their goal. Their goal is, you know, world domination. It's not just to be happy to stay where they are. I mean, they are actively... um, soliciting Americans to go there and and fight with them and you know we live um so anyway comment on that Woody that they're they're using a lot of money 
Um, where are they, they getting their money? Because they're using a lot of money in technology to get to the youth of America. And they are, unfortunately and frighteningly to me, getting a, a good response. Well, they, they get a lot of from uh, donations, just like Al-Qaeda did. Uh, there's an awful lot of oil money uh, in the Middle East, and um, they have big supporters and, and people who fund them that live in Iraq, Kuwait, uh, United Arab Emirates, Oman, uh, all of those. So they get a lot of money that way. But they also this, – see, this, this ISIS is a very sophisticated organization. You know, even as they are fighting to take cities and dams and so on, they have teams of engineers that are uh, with them, small military forces that are taking over the oil wells in the areas that they have conquered, places like Mosul, which is a huge oil hub, big, really big time. I mean millions of gallons of oil flowing mm. through there. Well, ISIS took it over, and now they're wow. selling the oil, and they're raking in three to four million dollars a day in wow. selling oil, funneling it through Turkey, and I don't know why Turkey is not is allowing that, um, and selling it on the free market, probably even up in Europe, in countries that purport to be opposed to ISIS. So they are extremely well funded. They have diplomats throughout the world. They have diplomats in the United States, in the mosques, uh, preparing for terrorist activity here in the United States. And they're not going to stop. This guy, al-Baghdadi, who is their caliph, in other words, their supreme leader, uh, more or less a demigod, he's more violent, more virulent, more, more anti-American than bin Laden. He hates America. And he's coming after us. And you know, it's what President Bush said a long time ago, Al-Qaeda. You know, they attacked us on 9-11. They attacked us in America. They'll do it again. We're going to take the fight to them. We're going to fight mm -hmm. them on their turf so that they cannot come to America. And that's what we have to do with ISIS. They're already here. It's just a matter of time before they break out their rockets or their bombs or whatever, their biological weapons, whatever it is they're going to do. We need to destroy this thing. This is, um, and this thing is, it's far more evil than Al Qaeda ever thought about being. This is not a terrorist group. This is an army, a growing army of more than forty thousand now. Every day we've got thousands of Muslims from the United States and from Europe heading guess, through guess where Turkey um, into the ISIS armies, and it's uh, growing. The caliph is established, and people will be coming from all over the world to join the, the caliphate. And um, we've got to destroy this thing. We should have done it a couple of years ago. I think if Bush had been president or Reagan or a, maybe even Clinton, it probably would have been done. We would have stopped them in their tracks before they could really get the momentum going. But we didn't, and they know that. Al-Baghdadi uh, knows that. And this is a brilliant man. He's uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. He is a young young man, uh, grew up, uh, was born and raised in Iraq, grew up there, uh, began and got his education, Ph.D. from uh, Baghdad University in Islamic studies. This is a brilliant individual. And, of course, he sound, surrounds himself with other brilliant people. 
And uh, this is not just a little ragtag army of guys with AK-47s. These are people that are very well organized. They have a nation state organized and set up, except they call it a caliphate, and they're going to expand. They intend to take the entire Middle East without question because that's what caliphates do. And we've seen, been seeing them do it for centuries. They establish empires, and they go as far as they can possibly go. And ISIL, under the leadership of al-Baghdadi, will do that. He became the leader in 2010, and he's been at it ever since. So he st really started um, as a member of al-Qaeda in Iraq. There was al-Qaeda, the core al-Qaeda, the directors, the leaders, al-Zawahiri, um, and all those people that, that followed bin Laden, and they were mm -hmm. hiding out in Pakistan. But our members of al-Qaeda, including Baghdadi, in um, Iraq, when the Americans invaded with uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom, they began to c conduct terrorist attacks in that. And that's where uh, Baghdadi got his start. Now, eventually, when that died down, Bush left office, and um, Obama came in, Al-Qaeda in Iraq became ISI, I I -S -I, Islamic State in Iraq. Then they moved into Syria. It became ISIS, Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Now they, Syria, and now they call themselves ISIL, Islamic State in Iraq and the Levant. And that's the whole region of the Middle East. They've established a caliphate. And they're going to expand it. And you asked a question a while ago, police. Are they? Mm -hmm. uh, have we stopped them? Uh, has it, no, not at all. Uh, just keep watching the news. They continue to advance. Yeah. We're making puny little airstrikes. And they're hiding out in cities and moving at night. They're about to take the uh, Turkish border town of Korbani. They're about to take that. They're about to take another dam. They're about to take a big Air Force base in um, Anbar province, which is basically central Iraq, and they're about to move in. In fact, they're already conducting bombing attacks inside Baghdad. No, we haven't stopped them at all. Uh, we have slowed I, them I, down, I believe. I think we really slowed them down. But we have not yeah, stopped I, them, and we're not going to stop them until we put a sizable military force on the ground against them to take them to task. And then and that's going to take Congress. Yes. Okay, and so I, go ahead. I don't see President Obama asking Congress for that. I don't think based on everything I've seen and heard. I don't think that this president wants to destroy ISIL. I don't think he wants to play that role. I think it puts him in a bad light. I think he is, I don't know if Barack Obama is Muslim, Christian, or atheist. I don't know what he is. I have no idea. But I do see, I do notice in his behavior since back in 2008 when he first became president, I do see a certain affinity with Islam. I see that in his behavior bowing to kings and, and stuff like that. I can't, you know, not attending uh, 
prayer day, a Christian thing, but attending the mosque uh, when it's their turn, and those kinds of things. You see this in in this man. Um, Either that or he doesn't have the stomach, or he is, like I said, and I've said this many times on this show, he's not acting alone. He is a part of a very large group, a very large, very well-funded group. George Soros is part of it. Radical American liberals are part of it. Radical European liberals are part of it. And they're trying to establish a new world order that does not include American leadership or American power. And so he would be forsaking the group that put him in the White House to go to Congress and ask them for a resolution of total war against ISIL. He is not going to do that. Bush did that. This president will not do that. So so we don't freak so, out all of the people listening today. Well, <laughs> Other than going there, on our knees and praying, Woody, um, you know. If we, what, if we yes, uh-huh. that is definitely in order. But if we uh, continue to contain, if we step up the uh, attacks, if we can get somebody else, like uh, Saudi Arabia, my gosh, you look at a country like Saudi Arabia, they have a modern, sophisticated air force. They fly the very best of American uh, fighter planes. They have 233,000 soldiers. They have a bigger army than France or Great Britain. Egypt is twice as big militarily as Saudi Arabia. There are plenty of forces that are threatened by ISIL that could march on ISIL. So why aren't they doing anything, them. Woody? Well, I, I'm not because they're waiting for us to do it, as we always have. Now, if once they get the idea that we're not going to act, okay, that's a different, that's a horse of a different color. I don't know. It has been so long since they have taken responsibility in their neck of the woods. It would be very interesting to see uh, how they how they would respond, what they would do. Even tiny little Jordan has 110,000 soldiers. So there's a lot of firepower. These are very well-armed um, Islamic states that are do not want to be swallowed up by ISIL that will ultimately rise up whenever it becomes clear to them, much to their disappointment, that Barack Obama doesn't want any part of that fight. It's just really too bad that um, one man, elected president, can do this. It really is too bad. Well, just but that's where like, we are. Well, I'm not hearing Congress. I mean, we're not, you know, we're getting it in, the, you know, some on Fox, um they are discussing it. I mean, they go more on segues to the fact that the president came, did his little interview or whatever he had to do, and then went back to the golf course. And so he had to spend, you know, 15 minutes on his golfing, which I'd rather not yeah, talk that. about, you know, than I'd rather talk about, you know, what what is it, what strategy should Congress be taking? And maybe, you know, they have a voice. I know it is all geared to commercials and all of that, but they do have a voice in the media, you know, to be bringing on these congressmen and saying, you know, what are you doing about this? You know, Felice, they're really, their their voice is only heard on Fox News. 
you won't hear them in 75% of the nation's media, uh, the liberal media. They, they, you won't see Republican conservatives talking about taking action uh, on those channels. Most American people will never hear it. And another big, bigger problem, a bigger problem is uh, than Obama, Congress, uh, relationships, what they will or will not do. A bigger problem is the to the growing apathy and ignorance of the American people. They just don't know, or that's the ignorance, or don't care, that's the apathy, what's happening on the other side of the world. They have their little cell phones, and they have their fast food, and they have their TV sets, and just go away and leave us alone with all that, don't really care. That is the larger problem. Back in the 50s, 60s, we cared. We were wide awake, we were alert, we were paying attention, and we cared. Uh, that's gone from, uh, from large numbers of Americans. And that's another mm -hmm. problem. And, you know, if, if you have people like, um, oh, Ted Cruz or uh, John Boehner, people, Republicans speaking out from Congress, if the House of Representatives would pass a resolution uh, demanding that the president take action against ISIL, it would be stopped instantly by the Senate. Uh, whatever a group this is that Obama belongs to, Harry Reid belongs to it also. And they would, they would stop it dead. It would go no place. So we're basically saying, all right, we have inflicted paralysis on the Congress. It's up to the president as commander-in-chief, as di chief diplomat, to deal with the situation in the Middle East or in North Africa, where you still have rampant terrorism, or in the Ukraine, where Russia is still quite active on that eastern border, it's up to the president. It's up to him, because Congress can do nothing. Congress has been locked up, and I think it was done intentionally. So that this agenda, this liberal, progressive, socialist agenda, could be pursued, seems quite evident so, to me. So um, the polls are showing that there's like 75 percent discontent, which is very high numbers for this president. He's got another what two years, and we've got midterm elections rolling around. So we are going to be discussing uh, midterm elections next show, as well as um, what voters. Uh, should know and uh, about the Constitution as well and focusing on that, Woody. Is that correct? Yes, and, and uh, you know, don't go to bed and have trouble sleeping tonight because of what I said. I'm talking about the distant future. If we can right. keep um, ISIL contained in Syria and Iraq for two years, and I think we can uh, with the help of our friends in the Middle East, um, and friends like Great Britain who are a little, uh, willing to go a little bit further than other countries, if we can do that, if we can elect a Republican Senate uh, three weeks from now and a president who is a leader willing to work with Congress, willing to solve problems as they come about, then we can come out of this looking good. We can. The thing that bothers me is all the men, women, and children who are going to die mm. while we wait. That is just unconscionable to the extreme to me because I yeah. grew up in that period when 
right. life mattered, and it still does right. to me. Right, and it still does to those of you that are listening. And so we really need to um, be awake with this upcoming election. Um, all of us have the power to make changes. Your one vote does count. And so I urge all of you to look at who's on the ballot in your uh, state. I know ours is a very heated uh, governor race here in Florida and a very negative campaign on both sides. Um, you know, when, you, when you hear both of the campaigns, you know, you, I mean, what's going on in both of these men's lives, both true uh, to an extent, you don't want to vote for either of them. Um, so, unfortunately, what we have today is the lesser of the two evils. Uh, so, you know, and I know some people would say, well, I couldn't in good conscience vote for either of them, but we have to, we do need to vote. And that's just my my uh, two cents there. Okay, let, my let me add on. my two cents. Can I add two cents? Absolutely. All right. That two cents is about all I've got. Um, Between now and and the next show, two weeks um, uh, from now, uh, every day just go to the Constitution and go through the whole thing and write down all the sections, articles, and clauses. You don't have to write down the language, but read the language of anything in the Constitution that pertains to voting and elections. See what comes up. See what you find. Wonderful. Okay. I think that's a good place to start. So uh, for those of you that are listening in the archives, that next audio might be right there. So go to uh, Current Issues in the Constitution and take a look. And if you want more information about the classes that Woody taught American history as well as the American government and elections class, you can visit MediaAngels.com and find out more about that. Woody, we are out of time, so I appreciate you being on the show, and thank you so much. I hope you have a speedy recovery with that knee, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Felice, and thank you for your help today. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.